So, yeah, hi. My name's Grant. I'm married to Rachel. We have two sons, Josh and Sam. And we've been coming to Christ Church for the last 11 years. Uh, this is the second time I've been asked to speak, so I'm really privileged to, to do that. And I'm going to be going over the same topic as last week, Esau selling his birthright to Jacob and uh, the fallout from that. Because it's just so much in that story that um, we can draw from. So as a quick recap, I'm going to read through Genesis, from some parts from Genesis 25 and 27. But for the sake of time, and we covered this last week anyway, I'm only going to pick out the bits that really are most applicable to what I'm going to be speaking on today. So if I miss out bits, please forgive me. So Genesis 25:29 says this. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear it to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So now if we fast forward to Genesis 27, it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, to him and said, My son, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, go out into the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, and she convinces Jacob to dress up like Esau to try and swindle the blessing for himself, knowing that Jacob's blind at this stage. She prepared the same delicious food Esau would make for Isaac. She probably gave him the recipe anyway. And then we hear that Jacob succeeds in convincing his aged father that he is Esau and gets the blessing off him. And then we read, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in and said, let my father arise and eat, some of his, as, and eat his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Then Isaac tells, then Isaac tells Esau, Jacob had tricked him, and he had actually blessed Jacob, and as soon as Esau hears this, he cries out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and begs his father, bless me also, oh my father, have you not received a single blessing for me? And, Esau tell, and, Jacob tell, and Isaac tells Esau, I've given Jacob everything, it's too late, and Esau lifts up his voice and he weeps. So last week, Andy highlighted the opportunistic nature of Jacob and the reckless character of Esau. Unpacking that really, we all fall short. Sin is sin, and we all fall short, which ultimately disqualifies us all from heaven. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we're more loved by God than a non-believer. It simply means that we've realized and accepted God's love for us. So herein lies the good news. We have a God who loves us with all his heart, who does not hold back who does not show favoritism like Isaac and Rebecca did. He throws everything he's got into rescuing humanity from themselves. He gives us grace 
and mercy, which boggles our minds and breaks our hardened hearts. Why would a holy and divine God love a creature like me? In James 2.23, we read that Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so he was called the friend of God. He was able to speak to the Lord and inquire of him. We also read about Rebekah inquiring of the Lord. If we go back a bit to the beginning of the story, in Genesis 25.21, it says, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. This shows us that Rebekah loves God and turns directly to God for the answers. It also shows us that Rebekah and Isaac were aware that God had selected Jacob, the second born, the younger one. Because it says the older will serve the younger. So God has chosen Jacob to receive the blessing. This would have resonated with Isaac especially, as he himself lived out almost the exact same quandary with his 14 years older half-brother Ishmael, who was also Abraham's son. Even though his father Abraham had humbly asked the Lord to let the blessing fall to Ishmael, the Lord said to him, no, it will go to the younger. It will go to Isaac. So Abraham accepts God's direction on this. Isaac, however, not so much when it comes to Esau. We read that he quite clearly favors Esau and down the line is determined to give the blessing of the firstborn to Esau, even if it means doing so in secret. But Rebecca overhears the situation, and um, it doesn't go quite to plan. We don't know if Isaac was aware that Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, but Esau had by then married two pagan wives and had demonstrated a lack of faith in God and patience to provide for him a Hebrew wife, as his father Isaac had demonstrated the patience in the Lord. So despite all these warning signs around Esau, Isaac's determined to give him the blessing with blind love. However, physical blindness uh, works against him and stops that going ahead. This doesn't, doesn't excuse uh, Jacob and Rebekah for deceiving Isaac while they were both, because while they were both after the right thing, God's promise to Jacob, they went about it in the wrong way. They were trying to force the situation. They weren't trusting in God's timing. They weren't saying, Lord, do it your way. And, of course, if you trust in God's timing, when God brings something to being, it's without strings attached. But, of course, when we meddle and push things, as this family did for generation after generation, you have all kinds of fallout and hurt. And, of course, we can do the same thing sometimes. So Esau and Jacob, they would have known the story of the flood, and the value of God's calling on their family. Family history and law would have been handed down by storytelling from generation to generation. Their, father, their, their grandfather Abraham, the friend of God, would have likely relayed God's word to them many times as they grew up. You can just imagine the family gathered around the campfire under starlight discussing the wonders of heaven. 
Grandpa Abraham loving story time with his grandchildren, the physical proof of his divine friend's faithfulness. No doubt the stories were told with all the suspense and wonder in his heart, God calling him to a foreign land, leaving behind all his relatives from the great Noah right down to Terah, his own father. Grandpa Abraham talks about, selling, uh, sorry, about settling in a foreign land and a mighty battle to rescue his nep- nephew Lot and meeting with the great high priest, King Melchizedek. Grandpa bowing to him, tithing 10% of the spoils of victory and receiving in return a royal and holy blessing, which is not insignificant to this story. Later on, they hear about the two angels who God used to destroy two cities and Abraham pleading with God to have mercy on the cities. However, we read that their sin was so great before the Lord that only three people ultimately survived. Nine months later, however, a miracle Their late grandmother, Sarah, gives birth to their father, Isaac, in her old age. Some years later, their father is about to sacrifice, sorry, their their grandfather is about to sacrifice their father, who then explains to them that even though he did not understand at the time why God had commanded him to sacrifice Isaac, the one through whom he had already promised to make a great nation, he never doubted God's goodness or his ability to fulfill his promises. The suspense of the moment drawn out as Grandpa describes the voice of the angel saying, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy. Hallelujah. Their dad was rescued by the angel of the Lord. And with a twinkle in his eye, the old prophet said, the Lord provided a substitutionary lamb, a ram caught by the horns in the bush by the altar. We understand today this was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ paying for our sins, taking our place. Abraham not, probably didn't understand that at that point, but I can picture him following up with a holy fear and a sense of wonder in his voice, declaring, it was all a test, a one-time thing. God wanted to know if he was really king in my heart. He never intended for me to actually sacrifice your father, nor would he have allowed it, but he did want to see if I would obey him, trusting in his goodness, that I had no treasures in my heart before God, for we must worship the Lord our God only and withhold nothing from him, for everything we have comes from his hand, impressing on Esau and Jacob that they are now the children of the promise. Isaac would have told the same stories from his perspective, his close call and his ultimate calling, which is what this is all about. Undoubtedly, God's blessing and favor had enormous central value to this family. That's the point. They knew. Esau would have fully understood what his birthright was worth. The birthright has to do with both position and a double portion of inheritance. By birthright, the firstborn son inherited the leadership of the family and the judicial authority of the father. And for this specific family... He acted as a type of high priest, a mediator with the Lord to the family, which is the best part of the blessing. And, you know, why would you want to give that up? All the firstborn are mine, declares the Lord in Numbers 3.13. Jacob, he just got it. I mean, not the moral bit yet, but the value of it all. He got it. Esau, however, he'd only realized just how precious and valuable that blessing is when it's too late. Right, now at this point, I'd like to play a quick game. Uh, Jenny, could you get the mic to Ray Bodkin? I think he's over there. 
Now, Ray, you are the chairman for the Stuart Hind Trust. And the Stuart Hind Trust manages the royalties, receives the royalties for the hymn, How Great Thou Art. Last I looked, the charity received something to the tune of half a million pounds in royalties and used the money predominantly for, um, so last year, um, used the money predominantly for Bible translations and also recently to help charities uh, with the, with the, the, the Ukraine crisis. Yep, that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, great. Now, I want to play a game with you. Deal or no deal. <clears throat> now, Ray. <laughs> In exchange for the rights to the royalties, for the hymn, How Great Thou Art, I would like to offer you this can of Heinz lentil soup. <laughs> what do you say? Absolutely no way, Grant. There's no way Nigel and I would ever pass this responsibility over to you. Okay, okay hang on. I know from Wednesday prayer morning how much you like a brioche bacon roll. I have here two brioche buns. No bacon, but two brioche buns and a can of lentil soup. Do we have a deal? Did you not hear what I said? Are you so thick that you don't listen to me? <laughs> okay, well, I can, I'm not unreasonable. Okay, okay, he's sticking, he's sticking. Banker's gamble, bottle of sparkling, no, mineral water plain. What do you say? Lentil soup, brioche roll, lentil soup, and uh, water. What do you say? Come on. It's quite clear, get lost. Okay, very good. Thank you very much, Ray. <laughs> So, thank you very much. So, that's pretty obvious to all of us. I was offering Ray a pretty terrible deal, and we all knew it. You know, Esau, he would have known exactly how terrible the deal his brother was offering. We've, we've built up the family history at this point. We get it, he got it. But the fact is, Esau was, Esau was hungry, he was famished, he wanted to eat there and then, and he didn't care about the consequences. Instant gratification. He rejects the Lord, and so is rejected by the Lord. So when it came to the distribution of the blessing, Esau was in fact about to deceive his father by cheating Jacob out of the very thing he legally sold to him for a can of soup. And Esau knew it. So did he really expect to outmaneuver his mother, his brother, and yes, even God, and it came to the fulfillment of his binding contract, which he so foolishly swore to before the Lord. Instead of grabbing his bow and heading straight out into the field, he should have humbled himself and repented and confessed to his father, Father, I have sold my birthright to my younger brother. Undoubtedly, Jacob, oh, we don't know whether this would have been news to his ears or not, but undoubtedly Jacob would have told him off. But as Jacob's favorite son, we could imagine, uh, we could imagine Jacob um, holding off, issuing the blessing, seeking the Lord and pleading Esau's case. But instead of acting with honor, Esau continues to act without honor, either toward his word, which he swore before the Lord, or toward his father by covering this thing up. Esau is thoroughly deceitful and attempts to nick his birthright back. This reveals that while Esau was a man of the field, he certainly was not a man of his word. And having sworn to his brother these things, he clearly is not a man who fears God yet. Friends, the Bible says the Lord looks on the heart. So in order for 
Jacob to have even had the slightest chance of making this deal of a lifetime, his brother Esau would have to already have been resisting the Holy Spirit, not giving his heart to the Lord. Now, people in the Old Testament did have did see a sort of shadow of the things to come, and while we know a lot more because we have the New Testament, we still only know in part what the kingdom of heaven holds for us, but soon enough, everyone who ever gives or gave their heart to the Lord, New Testament and old alike, will know everything completely, just as God knows us completely. You can read about that in Corinthians 13, 12, and Hebrews 10, 1. Even still, we do know what God's promise is, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we all become like firstborn sons of God, with all the rights and privileges that go with that, male and female alike, for we are all one in Jesus Christ, as of God's glory. But if we're to share in his glory, we're to share in his suffering as well. Don't trade down your relationship with God just to fit in or gain some temporary but ultimately unsatisfying pleasure. Through Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit of God himself here and now in this life, like a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and identity as a new creation. The Holy Spirit helps us daily and gives us an intimate and deeply personal relationship with God a peace that passes all understanding, an indelible holy joy that remains constant, even though we may mourn. He'll never leave or forsake us, even when days are at their darkest. God never gives up on you or me. He wills us on to do well, to choose the narrow road that leads to life, rather than the wide and easy road that leads to destruction that unfortunately and sadly so many choose. We need to acknowledge that like sheep, we have all gone astray at some point, and then confess our sins to God, or to put it another way, accept that we have completely missed the mark, and we know it. Then to apologize to God, to turn our backs on those behaviors and attitudes that cause hurt to God, ourselves, and others, asking God for forgiveness, help, freedom, inviting Jesus into our hearts, to, into our heart of hearts, actually, to do real business with us that changes our lives and not have a, a, a sort of arm's length relationship with God. And he'll come in. He'll set you free if your invitation is sincere. It, for many of us, this good work has already begun, whether it was recently or a long time ago when Jesus knocked on the door of our hearts. We let him in. And we know that the Bible promises he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. In 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4, it sums up the good news that we have in our hearts in this way. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you and for me. What joy we'll have on that day. Even now, God's grace and his mercy and his love follows us all the days of our lives. Hallelujah. <laughs> My dear family of God, we must treasure Jesus above all and realize how treasured you and I are by him. This is the Lord of all creation, mindful of every spinning atom, omnipotent, omnipresent, and wise beyond human comprehension. 
We need to live with the awareness that we are image bearers of a holy, holy God, fearfully and wonderfully made. We are so loved that he sent his only begotten son from heaven to earth to pay for our debts by dying on that cross. So that all we need to do to enter into eternal life and relationship with him is to love him and acknowledge him and repent of our sins before it's too late. I like the way the message paraphrases Hebrews 12, 16 to 17. It says, watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late. Tears or no tears. So let's be mindful. Our mortal actions and decisions here on earth have eternal repercussions for ourselves, our loved ones, and our neighbors. The Lord is divinely present and always at work in our hearts, passionately crying out, Jesus Christ is showing you the way to be saved. All the while, the world, the devil, and our flesh are constantly trying to lure us away from the truth into some shady deal. To swap the gospel truth God has so generously given to us for a lie. Tempting us to, ser tempting us to serve the things God created instead of the creator himself. Who's worthy of all our praise. Hallelujah. Romans 1.25 do we trust in God's holy plan for our lives and flee from temptation like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him? Or do we hang around on that webpage or in that chat room or at that bar and play with fire? Do we choose God and holiness and his purpose for our lives? Trusting is the best deal we'll ever make and pray daily to be more like Christ and rather sportingly pray for our friends and family of the kingdom to shine brighter still? Or do we get filled with envy and anger when we see our brother or sister or neighbor doing well? They received that help. They received that healing. They, 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 they got that tax rebate, that job or relationship or child or games console or, or anything, you know, that we wanted that they've gotten. And do we let then the bitter root, bitter root take a bitter seed take root and choke out the seeds of the gospel. And so we don't bear fruit. My friends, we must be like the wise man who builds his house on the spiritual rock that is Jesus Christ. Not being only hearers of the word, but doers also. Applying the gospel to our heart attitude. Weeding out Esau-like rebellion. Lest the house we build comes crashing down on our heads. And through gnashing teeth and weeping... It's too late to rebuild. Take hold of God's promise and instruction today. Apply his word to your life. Let everything you do be as if it's for the Lord. Have a constant sense of the awesome and intimate presence of God in your life. Don't swap it for anything. To those who may not yet have accepted Christ into your heart, I say this to you. Don't miss the boat. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you give God your heart without any conditions attached and just trust him, you will never regret that decision. Ask any true believer. But like any inheritance, 
you need to sign on the dotted line to receive it. Declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Romans 10 verse 9. The promise from our Heavenly Father is for us all. To my brothers and sisters who know and believe in the Lord but are squandering your spiritual inheritance by messing about in worldly passions and resisting the Holy Spirit when he convicts you of sin or not living out a God-centered life, I'm not saying in any way you're at risk of losing your salvation, but you are at high risk of losing out on the wonderful plans and treasures God has for your life. You can stop him working through you to bless others who you are uniquely placed to reach and share the words of life with. Return to the Lord. Repent like King David did. Return to your first love. Let's take a moment. I'm going to pray a simple prayer of recommitment or commitment for the first time. You can, in the quiet of your heart, say amen or out loud if you like. Let's just pray quickly. Lord Jesus, please come into my life today for the first time. Or as a recommitment, please restore a right spirit within me. I don't have any conditions. I just want you, Lord. Help me to believe in you. I'm so sorry for all the wrong things I've done. Please forgive me for them and help me to turn my back on my old ways. I accept you into my life as my Lord and personal Savior today. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or as a recommitment, please grab one of the leaders or myself afterwards. We'd love to talk to you. Now, to those who are doing well in their walk with the Lord, I praise God for you. As Charles Spurgeon said, Let's be like the tribe of Dan. Take up the rear guard of God's people, helping those believers and seekers who struggle in their faith, falling behind, struggling with doubt and worldly trials, fainting, showing God's love to the church and her visitors as much as God has continually loved his lavish on you, even when you used to be an enemy of his. Continue to live well and never lose heart if someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him or her, saving your critical comments for yourself. You yourself might be in need of forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's perfect law. Because if any of us thinks we're too good for that, we've been badly deceived. We need to all be like the person in Christ's a parable about the kingdom of heaven being like a pearl of great value. Sell out completely to get your hands on it and don't give it up for anything. And one day, the tempter will come and he'll try to get you to trade down with him for it. He'll dress it up in some way. But shake off the effects of Satan's charm and call to mind God's promises which he has spoken over our lives repeatedly through scripture and those intimate moments when we've been nearest to him. Take hold of Bible verses to combat fear and doubt. Like, I will never leave or forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. 
For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, John 3, 16. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation you suffer to be more than you can stand and will show you a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Anyone who comes to me, I will not turn away. John 6, 37. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, 1. So in conclusion, let's be a people who love one another and live wholeheartedly for God, like Moses, who by faith, when he was grown up, refused to be called Pharaoh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And so should we. Thank you.